wonder, well, will people be here? And man, I'm just so thankful that you are. And uh, just the ability to be together as a community, no matter what day it is. We do want to remember that today is Memorial Day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad state of affairs that a lot of things become so politicized in our nation. But uh, to remember those that sacrifice their lives and their families so that others could be protected, so freedoms could be protected. We are thankful for those that gave their lives. And uh, holidays, especially patriotic holidays, for me are kind of weird. I'll just be straight up with you. Because on one hand, I'm very thankful for the nation that we live. On the other hand, we tend to let our patriotic things sometimes overshadow the things that belong to God. And one of the things we have to be careful about on this Memorial Day is not not glorifying men who gave their lives in the fight against evil and yet ignoring that ultimately the battle against evil was won through Jesus. Um, over the last few days, I, I, I'll be honest, uh, I'm not real sure what's going to come out today. <laughs> not because I'm not prepared, but because I have a lot of things I want to say. And I'm, they're not all going to fit cohesively together. So today I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to help put together what needs to happen. One of the, one of the thoughts I've been having recently uh when it when it comes to terrible things happening in the world one of the first questions that is asked of christians is where was god in all of this and what i often see in on facebook and twitter and instagram are the the times that we tend to focus on the goodness of god is when we seem to be getting something We often post about God is so good because X, Y, or Z happened. And just bear with me. I'm very thankful when good things happen. I really don't like it when a series of bad things happen. I don't know. Some of you are with me on that. I'm really not a person that enjoys bad things happening in life. But one of the things I've been somewhat thinking through is just this. The reality that God is good. He just is good. It doesn't matter if something good happened to me that I perceive as good. God is just good. You know what I mean? Just no matter what, God is good. On Memorial Day, we think about those that have lost family members and friends, and I personally have never lost a military friend or family member. All of ours have been able to come through unscathed, but I know many who haven't. And so sometimes on holidays like Memorial Day, we wonder, why does God tarry and just coming back and kind of wiping this whole mess off the face of the planet and building this new kingdom that he refers to that will come one day? And, and sometimes it can lead us to the question of, well, why is God not doing more good things? And one of the most dangerous realities is when we fail to see that God is just good. Not only is he good, he's so good that it is unfathomable to me to be able to comprehend how good he is. So as we come together and as we worship, as we sing, as we are thankful for the lives that that people that have given their lives so sacrificially, which is just an incredible testament to their strength of character and integrity of those men and women, we do remember that God is always good, even in the midst of hardship and sacrifice. Not because he did something for me. But the truth is, I love God because he did something incredible for me that I didn't deserve. 
but I desperately need it. So we are thankful for the many good things that we have in this world. We're thankful for the many good things that God has given us through his son Christ. We suffer through the hardship and the loss that some of our friends and our family members have endured. But we're thankful that God is still good. I'm excited for our graduates this morning. God is good right now, right? Some of you parents are thinking, hey, yeah. Well, let's see. We got four more years for some of you and uh, a job search. Uh, but I'm excited for what God is going to do in your life. The world is changing so quickly, so rapidly. It's Many in my generation are struggling to understand the way that the world is rapidly evolving around them. And yet you have the opportunity to not only live in a rapidly changing time, but to influence it. And so my prayer is that you will have success as you influence the world around you based on the things that you have been taught growing up. We're thankful for David and Stephanie, for all of our youth leaders that invest in these kids, and for the many more that are going to go through graduation. I'm hoping three of my own will do that at some point. And, um, but we're thankful for their investment in them as well. Um, we're going to do a couple of special things this morning, but I want to continue our series on blunders first. And then if you have not stopped by the table out here, uh, that Brent and Carrie have put together a table. If you were here last week, they shared a little bit about their ministry in Turkey. Uh, they've, they've got some prayer sheets. I think you can take those with you. I think that's why there's multiple. So you can pick one of those up. We've got a cool prayer book that you can open and kind of see some people that you can be praying for. There's also a sign-up sheet. And for some of you that are very familiar with what it looks like to share Christ in a somewhat closed culture, um, for them, they can't really promote all that they're doing all over the place. But if you would like to be able to get some updates from them, there's a, a sheet that you can write your name and your email address. I would suggest you write it very legibly, which they may have to call me on mine because I don't write legibly, but write very legibly and you can be included in their um, and their prayer emails that they send out. And then we're going to do, in just a little bit, we're going to kind of do a send-off because they're going to go visit a few more places and then they're headed back to Turkey. So we want to pray for them. If you are interested in, in supporting them financially, then uh, you can do that either directly to them or you can uh, give to Journey. Make sure you note that that's where you want it to go and we'll make sure it gets to them as well. But uh, we'll do that in just a few minutes. I want to share a story today. Last, last week I shared a story about Peter. I told you Peter's one of my favorites. Um, I relate to Peter not because he was the foundation of the church. I relate to him because he messed up so much. And uh, so last week was one of my favorite stories that I, I've liked to tell now for 20 plus years. And um, what I want to do is follow up with another story of Peter's because we can sur- you can survive like one mistake in life, right? But like, if you're a serial mistake maker, then it gets harder along the way. And then for what ends up happening is you have that one or two or 10 or 15 concerned family members or friends about your continued mistake making that want to remind you before you make another mistake about all the other mistakes that you made. Does anybody have those in your life? Fun, lovable, enjoyable people. They're great to be around at great, you know, fun times like Thanksgiving and Christmas to, to remind you about all the times you screwed up at Christmas. So any, maybe I'm just telling personal stories. I don't know. But um, for some of you that are serial mistake makers, Peter is your man. 
And so I want to share another story. We're going to jump forward in Peter's life. This is actually after Peter has already denied Christ. So he, this isn't even his second big blunder. I mean, he's, he's well on his way. But this is when the church has been started in Jerusalem. This is actually many years after Jesus has given his life. The ministry has been going on in Jerusalem for a good amount of time. And we have someone coming on the scene that begins to eclipse in popularity, at least in our scriptures, of his influence at that time. We have Paul kind of coming on the picture. And Paul is, at this time, he's beginning to kind of gain a reputation, not just outside of Jerusalem, because that's primarily where he ministered, but even inside Jerusalem. Because if you remember, Paul was also a serial mistake maker. Not a word, not a phrase. I like to use it though, because it just describes me many times of my life. Paul was a guy that he decided he was going to be the best Jew. Some of you can't relate to that, but maybe you know somebody who wants to be the best Christian of all their friends. That's what Paul wanted to be. And so Paul, in order to be that in a Jewish society, he had to persecute people that would be following anything other than traditional Jew- Judaism. And so he persecuted many Christians in the beginning of the movement after Jesus had died and resurrected and then ascended to heaven. Along the way, we're going to find that Paul has a radical life change. Now, you're wondering, why am I talking so much about Paul if Peter's blunder is our topic for today? And it is simply this. These two men are going to confront one another or one will confront the other at a huge blunder that I think many of us end up making today. But where I want to pick up the story is in Galatians chapter 1. If you're on version, you can follow there. If you've got a Bible, you can open that up. Paul, at this point of the story, Paul is an apostle because of his experience on the road to Damascus. So I don't know if you're familiar with Paul's story. An apostle at this time was a person that had, was literally given the ministry of sharing the gospel by Jesus himself. You couldn't just hear about the gospel and then decide, hey, I'm going to be an apostle. And it's not like being a pastor of a church. So I'm going to start this church over here. Now I'm an apostle. To literally be an apostle, you had to have been instructed and you had to have been given your mission by Jesus himself. That's why we don't truly have apostles today because they don't meet that standard. Now we will call people apostles. There is a spiritual gift of apostleship. But it is not the same as the title of apostle as we see it in the New Testament. But Paul literally was an apostle even though his conversion was after Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. If you want to read a great story, read his story going through the Damascus Road whenever he literally meets Jesus. And it's just an incredible story where he has changed. So at this time, Paul is an apostle because of his experience on the road to Damascus. But he was a virtual unknown in Jerusalem, and he had a reputation that he was propelling the gospel, and his reputation propelled the gospel. Paul was a dynamic guy. He wrote much of what we have in the New Testament, and I want to kind of lead you through a process to Peter's blunder. We can't just jump right in. We've got to do a little bit of backstory, all right? Y'all with me? 
Okay, you had lots of sleep and hot dogs so far, or you will at least tomorrow, okay? So stay with me as we go through this. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 23. Paul is coming forward, and he has not yet really had a time to be with the apostles in Jerusalem. Some even question whether he is really an apostle. Should he even be teaching the gospel, or what really is Paul's deal? So we pick up in verse 23, it says... They only were hearing it said about Paul. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is Paul's entrance into the apostles in Jerusalem. Now this is some time later. He's been doing his thing for a while. In chapter 2 verse 1 it says, Then... After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Two guys that shared in his ministry. I went up because of a revelation and sat before them. Though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, just to set the table here a little bit. What's happening is that Paul has been sharing a gospel to a group of people that some knew of Jewish culture. They knew of Jewish tradition. They knew of what you were supposed to do to be a good Jew, but most really didn't. If you're a student at all of Jewish traditions, there were a number of things you had to follow to be a good Jew. We talked a little about those a couple of weeks ago when Jesus, when Mary was raising Jesus, that she went through a process of ceremonies with him. And the primary one that that became somewhat controversial was that of circumcision that demonstrated you belonged to God. It was the birthright into the Jewish faith. And if you were not circumcised, you could not be a Jew. This became a huge topic among people in Jerusalem. Now, what we find at this point in the story of the church is the church is kind of caught on fire. The church is just grown by leaps and bounds. Once the apostles began teaching in all these different languages and they began to see all these different people come to Christ. And we have estimates that hundreds of thousands of people were actually coming to faith in and around Jerusalem. Things were very exciting And because they were right at the time that Jesus had taught, people were passionate and they remembered his teachings. There was a purity amongst the faith of those following in Jerusalem. Now, like anything in life, the longer that you're a part of something, the greater the chance that some poor ideas begin to dilute that purity of faith. It happens here in this church. It happens in the church around the world. It happened in the church in Jerusalem. It even happened among the apostles, the first disciples that walked with Jesus. Things get diluted, get a little comfortable, get a little relaxed. Not a big deal. We just kind of go with the flow. We find out we have to live with these people that we're ministering among. And we don't really want to hurt anybody's feelings. And we have to pass them in the market. And we have to see them when we go to see our family members. And we we have to have relationships with each other. We share time at the temple. We have to be able to get along with these people that we disagree with. Which is fine. Until you begin to compromise 
what Jesus taught. So this is what's happening. Paul is coming. He's submitting himself and he's hearing from those around him whether the message that he's sharing that is very much absent of Jewish tradition that is, is still on par with what Jesus taught. Verse 3, this is where we begin to see that this diluting of the purity of the faith is beginning to become a disease amongst the church. Verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. When you read that the first time, you think, We're, what? Nobody said anything about circumcision. Why is this here? What is the reason for this verse being here? Verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. Now, has anybody been a part of a church situation where there was a church vote and all of a sudden a whole bunch of people showed up that never were ever at church? Does anybody ever remember those? Some of you don't because you you haven't attended a church in a long time or ever before coming here. Some of us who kind of came through church structure and church culture, you've seen this happen. Hey, where did they come from? All of a sudden, these people who have no interest in what's going on in the church, no interest in things of faith, there's a hot topic, and they're there. Hey, we need to call so-and-so. They need to get here. Something's about to happen. So, because of these false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery... To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, let's make that into the realm of reality. What does that really mean? The issue was circumcision. Now, is circumcision that big a deal? Today in our nation, most young young baby boys are circumcised for health reasons, not really for religious reasons. Not all are, and it's a trend that may be changing somewhat. There's really no religious pressure attached to circumcision today other than some believe that it's a healthier option and some don't. It's just a personal choice that families make. In this culture, what it says is, if you're not circumcised, you cannot be a follower of Jesus. Now, this is radically important. Because what they are doing is creating something else, another hurdle you have to overcome that Jesus did not overcome for them. Now, it can be circumcision. It can be the way you dress. It can be the way you talk. It can be the church you go to. It can be how much money you give to the church or time you give to the church. There's a number of things that we can add to the equation of the gospel to say you can't truly know Jesus until you have done this, that, or the other. In this case, it was circumcision. And though this is not an issue in our culture, we have a thousand other things that fit this exact same scenario. What else is needed in order to be acceptable before God? And Paul was here primarily to say, I am not teaching circumcision amongst the Gentiles to which I minister because it has no value whatsoever to lead them to know Christ. This is a tradition that is in a religion that Jesus came to say it is no longer this way. But instead, this is a message of repentance and grace through faith. Not about our works. Not about circumcision. 
Not about what church you go to. Not about what clothes you wear. Not about how you talk. It's all about Christ. So anything, Paul was very careful, anything that came and got in the way of that message, he was very careful to confront. So it says in verse 5 again, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, picture this. You're an individual. You're broken. You're looking for hope. And you've heard that there's hope in Christ. And you want to know more. And when you go to the temple to find out, listen, I just, I need to know more about this Jesus. Okay, but first you have to be circumcised. That's what was happening. You must first become a Jew before you can become a Christian, even though that wasn't a word that they used at the time. And so by doing that, they changed the gospel. And as Paul describes it, it's trying to submit people to a slavery, not to be an indentured servitude, but slavery to a religious practice or tradition that had no true value anymore. And from those, verse 6, who seem to be influential, and this is in quotes, so it may or may not be, or in parentheses, this may or may not be in your particular translation, what they were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. In other words, I didn't, they didn't care a thing about what they had to say. So here's where we are in this story. Paul defended a gospel based on repentance and grace, not on traditions and practices. That is where the story leads us. And the truth is that today in many churches... This is no different than what was happening with these, whoever these secret brothers were coming in, trying to put some kind of stipulation on how you could truly be a good Christian. Christ says it's all through him. Everything is about him. Everything is for him. It is about the gospel and the grace that it was given to those who would repent. We have to be careful we don't pull repentance out. Right now, we're kind of living in an age where it's really comfortable to talk about loving everybody. We want to just love people. However, many of the expressions that we want to focus on in loving people are not the kind of love that Christ would have loved people with. Instead, it's a kind of love that kind of gets us skirting by without hurting anybody's feelings, without offending anybody, without having to point anybody towards repentance, which is the beginning of the message of the gospel. We see it through John the Baptist who said, Repent for the day is here. We see it in Jesus when he began his ministry, when he came and he said, my message is a message of repentance. And so love shown without a loving message of repentance is not true love. And so what we have here is Paul defending the true gospel because that is the only thing that changes lives and usher someone into a relationship with Christ. That is of utmost importance. For followers of Christ, we all develop our priorities based on different things. Are our priorities based on what Jesus said the gospel is supposed to be and how we live it out? Many of us are trying to get through life. Many of us have lots of things that are holding us back or are they wearing us out or obstacles that we have to overcome. Have we just made surviving this world a higher priority than living out the gospel as Jesus taught? 
Paul was defending the gospel because he knew that is what brought true hope to people. That is where true love lived. That is what it looked like for somebody to be rescued from the world in which they lived. And the truth is for Paul, and the reason I'm sharing so much about him, was that he was called to share the gospel with those outside of mainstream Jewish life. Paul was outside of mainstream Jewish Jewish life. So let's continue on the story. Paul goes and he says, this is the message I'm talking about. I'm not talking about circumcision at all. I've got all these people over here saying you got to be circumcised to be a Christian or, you know, input whatever is the most modern thing people think you have to do to become a Christian. And I'm rejecting all of that to have a pure gospel. I'm just here to make sure that you all agree and that you all know this is what I'm doing and that we're all on the same path together that Jesus taught us. So verse 7 picks up, it says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to be circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Translation, just as he's going to the Jews who who were circumcised long ago, I'm going to those who have never been circumcised outside of Jewish life. Verse 9, and then when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we would go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And here's what we see leading into this story. Number one, Paul was willing to submit to the authority of the apostles. Apostles at times, he desperately disagreed with but he was willing to submit to their authority what we find is that the apostles supported paul's ministry and agreed that the gospel wasn't dependent on their traditions but on repentance and grace but as we come to this time that would be just a great time for paul being validated in the ministry in which god had given him The truth is that just because you've reached a place of maturity in your life, it doesn't mean you won't still stumble. See, one of the greatest things that you will struggle with is the belief that you are above mistakes. Once you're at the place to believe, I got it down, I've got it together, then you are prime ready to face plant. It's going to happen. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. You know, it's amazing what happens when we take our eyes off the goal of what Jesus had given us. It's amazing when we come to the place to believe, listen, I have reached a level that I just don't worry about stuff anymore. I mean, I have it together. Now, you may be thinking, I I, I know people like that. That's not me. Here, Here are a few things to think about. This is what I have to think about in my own life. The person who believes that they're not about to stumble is the person who is not regularly praying. If you're not regularly praying, you don't believe there's any real need to be communicating with God and that you are not about to stumble. The person who does not believe they're about to stumble is a person who a part of their prayer time, a significant part of their prayer time is still a time of repentance and honesty before God to say, God, see where I have fallen Forgive me, restore me, and help me to stay focused on what you have taught me. When that is not a regular part of your life, you are living on the precipice saying, I have covered it, I am there, I have no worries. 
and you're about to fall. The reality is that you cannot reach a level of maturity that you're not, you're no longer prone to this. There is no maturity that overcomes the power of sin and its work on us. Let's finish this part of the story, or finish this story in Galatians 2. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul talking. Because he stood condemned. Now, we're talking about Peter here. We're talking about Peter who was given great responsibility. The right hand of Jesus. We're talking about Peter here who has had an incredible role within the church. He's like the pastor of all pastors. He's the elder of all elders. And he stands condemned. Who of us are above that? Who of us are above his role, his place, what God had called him to, what God wanted him to accomplish in the world? Who of us has been given a greater mission or a greater role than that? None of us. And yet he stood condemned. But when he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, something that Jesus would have done, with those outside of the Jewish faith. Now, if you remember, old Jewish tradition said you had to stay away from Gentiles. They were dirty, terrible people that you need to have nothing to do with. Don't, you just don't relate to them. God was angry with you when you related to people outside of your faith. And yet Jesus changed that. And Peter learned that, and he changed that in himself. And he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party or those who had been circumcised. And the rest of the Jews, this is where we have to learn a couple of lessons. One, the power of restoration. Two, the danger of taking our eyes off of what God's called us to. The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? How can you do this? Jesus clearly taught That we should take the gospel to those who don't know it. We see over and over that Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus was with those that were not a part of the faith. We see Jesus over and over saying, I want you not to go to those who say they're religious. I want you to go to those who are in need, who are oppressed, who are hurting, who are captive, who are blind. I want you to go to the people that need to hear the gospel. I want you to be with them. I want you to have relationships with them. And if you'll find many of the reasons that the Pharisees hated him and that ultimately led to his death was because he would not stay strictly to the Jewish traditions of the time because he taught a different way. He clearly taught that we should take the gospel to those who don't know it. We should spend time with those outside of the faith. And some Christians today, while not for the reason of circumcision, still do this By creating groups of friends only that are also believers, but rejecting anyone else who's not a Christian. 
It's one of the things we've been trying to teach for a long time. The difference in how we respond to those who say they are a part of the faith and those who have never agreed that they believe in the faith. Jesus held those that were responding to the gospel to a very high standard of accountability. And yet those who did not, he exhibited great amount of patience and grace. There's a difference. We don't treat all people the same. There's a difference in those that know the gospel and those that don't. There's a difference in accountability. We don't people hold people accountable to the scriptures when they don't even agree that they believe in the scriptures. But when you say that your life is built on the teachings of Jesus, we hold you accountable to those teachings. That's how we live. That's what Paul was doing before the apostles. And that's what Paul was taking on himself to confront Peter. See, Peter failed in at least three ways. Probably more. The three I want to bring up. One is, Peter gave influence to people who did not know the heart of God. This is sin. When we allow people to influence us that do not know the heart of God, we have given them a voice greater than God's voice himself. And he gave them a voice And he trusted in what they said. And this is sin. Today in our world, we struggle with sin. Today in our world, we want to ignore the struggle with sin. That's why we like to talk about loving people. Because we don't have to confront the sinful tendencies that exist within us. That's why we like to talk about reaching out to the poor and going to the unreached people around the world because I can avoid talking about my own personal sin. The truth is, sin is losing focus on following God. And when we lose focus in following God, we fall into a trap of self-importance. It's all about me. It's about what I want, what I feel, what I need. And the truth is that many have stopped waging war against sin. And at the same time, they struggle to see God at work in their lives. Blaming God for him not being at work in their lives. Never taking responsibility for the fact that they no longer struggle against sin. See, as sin begins to move in and interweave within our daily routines, God becomes a more and more distant voice. That's our choice, not his. And once we fail to see that there is a warfare going on against sin in our lives, then we recognize that when we no longer see God at work, it's not because of God, it's because of us. I've been reading a few books lately, and one of them is uh, a fun little book called The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. It's a short book, but it's, it's a hard book to read for me. But it is rich with what does it look like to truly understand how truly destructive sin is. This is just a quote from that book. It says, the truth is, he is so good, God is so good, that I cannot comprehend the depths of his goodness. When sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. But as sin is never less, less quiet than when it seems to be most quiet, And its waters are, for the most part, deep when they are still. So all our contrivances against it be vigorous at all times and all conditions. 
even when there is least suspicion. Translation, at the time that we feel most immune to sin is most likely the time that sin is most active in our lives. When we turn our backs on the idea that we are turning away from God, then what begins to happen in us is that we begin to let sin have a foothold and we stop waging war against it. At the moment that we believe we've reached a level that we are above it, that is when we are most susceptible to fall to it. We must always be vigilant. Peter became comfortable, perhaps in his position, perhaps in his his reputation, but he became comfortable. He gave influence to people who didn't know the heart of God, and he would have recognized that if he was, at the time, still pursuing the heart of God. Second way that Peter failed, Peter hurt fellow Christians. It says that other Jews who saw him as influential were also changed and pulled away from the true heart of God based on his actions. So if you're thinking, I've made mistakes and you don't know the people I've hurt, Paul hurt. I mean, excuse me, Peter hurt people. He hurt others. And yet Jesus still called him. The third way that Peter failed is that Peter obliterated the gospel for those who were not traditionally practicing Jews. He took the gospel, which Jesus gave his life for all people to have access to it through him. And he put a board across that says, you're not good enough. That is completely opposite of what the gospel says. And the truth is, what Peter did is no different than when we only invest our lives in other Christians and ignore people who are outside of our faith. No different whatsoever. Are we guilty? Sometimes I'm more guilty than other times. But are we guilty of that? So that's where we see Peter failing. And that's great. But where do we go from there? There has to be a path of restoration to see any value in seeing the blunders of those who went before us. How are you restored? Is restoration possible? What we see in this story is that the path to restoration will often require confrontation and accountability. That was a whole series of my brother's keeper. Often it is going to require some confrontation and accountability. Ultimately, it is up to us to decide, are we really serious enough about our faith to let others be that for us? There are a lot of people who really aren't serious enough about it, and so they don't want anybody saying anything. The path to restoration is always available to repentant hearts. Always, always, always. There's never a situation in which it isn't. No matter how many people you've hurt, no matter how big your mistake is, there is always a path to restoration, and it is always open to those who are repentant. And truthfully, for some that struggle with how bad they perceive their mistakes to be, even when your actions hurt others, there is a way to be restored. So let me leave you with these questions. Question one, will you act humbly? Humility is the greatest characteristic of a person following God. It's the aspect of picking up the cross and following Him. It's the willingness to die to ourselves for something greater and bigger. And it's the ability to drive a nail right through the heart of sin in our lives by acting humbly. 
Second question, will you act in wisdom? Where is your wisdom coming from? Is it based on what you read through the scriptures? Through those who have gone before us and have demonstrated by their lives and actions? Or is it based on what sounds good to me? I've found the older I get, the crazier my younger self was than what it thought was good. Where are you drawing wisdom from? You need to have a good foundational source to draw wisdom from. The third question I'll ask you, which goes right along with these two, will you repent? Will you repent? You made a mistake. Will you repent? You screwed up royally. Will you repent? You've hurt others. Okay? Everybody hurts others. Will you repent? The core of the gospel and the core of following him is willing to, a willingness to let him mold us in maybe some uncomfortable ways because now we are not the most important person in our lives. It's not our spouse. It's not our kids. But when God becomes the most important in our lives, he begins to mold us. And he begins to change us. Bottom line, there is no blunder that cannot end in restoration for those that humble themselves before God. I want to throw in just a a secondary bottom line. I get to do that. I get to write the rules on the bottom lines for my sermons. A secondary one is this. We have to be very careful about how we wage judgment on other Christians. Now, I know when we began to talk about my brother's keeper, while everyone responded very positively, I know that there had to have been within some the question, does this mean you're just going to be judgmental now of people if they don't measure up? When a person truly embraces the idea of humility and repentance, that's not even a question. We no longer judge others based on some weird criteria because we know we ourselves are disqualified. And yet many times we look at the failings of other Christians and we want to talk about it and we want to post about it and we want to talk about how bad they are and how awful they get it. And when we do that, we ignore the own sin at work in our own lives. The warfare that we need to fight, it's the, it's the parable of the plank in your eye. Will you view others differently because we view ourselves differently? I want to pray with you and then I want to do two other things before we close with our last song. I want to show a quick video and then we're going to ask the youngs to come forward. Their whole family is going to come forward and we're going to pray for them as they go out. Similar to Paul, they're going into a a nation that has very few believers and everything within their culture pushes them to not believe in the gospel. And so we want to let them know that as the church, though God has not called us perhaps to be in Turkey, maybe some of you he will, but he has called them. We want them to know that we are a part of them. They are a part of us and that we can support and encourage them as God sends them out. So we're going to do that. But first, let me pray. And then we've got a short video for you to see. Father, God, I thank you for the grace that you've given us. I thank you for the opportunity to fail time and time again. And yet you consistently offer paths to restoration. We don't deserve it, but that is the gospel. You gave us something incredible, even though we didn't deserve it either. 
Lord, I pray that for those that are in this room, that they have been living in cells that they have locked themselves because of their own past mistakes, that you will give them freedom. No matter who has been hurt, there is restoration possible. There's always a way to come back. And I pray that you would give them hope and you would give them confidence in your love and grace. For those who are living life and they feel they've got life by the tail and nothing's going to go wrong and they're just living their lives, Lord, we know that they are just right on the edge of falling. Pray that you would grab their hearts and you would have them in tune with yours. Father, I pray that we wouldn't live our lives fearful of our mistakes, but thankful for your redemption. Father, I pray that we would be able to wage war against sin so that the gospel may go out and that we could live free lives, the lives you created us for. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.